0: When I talk about my love and my passion for Alcoholics Anonymous, if, John, if you had asked me to come down there to Texas to do this air, this show, I would have come. I would have walked. I would have hitchhiked. I would have got there. You you hear a lot of people say, when I came to AA or when I came to the doors of AA, it's a terminology that's very common. I never came to the doors of AA. AA kept coming to me. And I want to make that really, really clear. These old geezers who were sitting there watching Survivor on a Tuesday night and and a snowstorm and all that would get up off their asses and they would get in their vehicles and they would drive to these institutions and they would put on A&A meetings. They they came to me. Who the hell am I to ever reject an opportunity to, to, to do a form of service? Who am I to do that? I can't. I can't do that.
1: Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Hola, que tal, mi amigos, mi amigas. That was the voice of my friend Mr. Marty C that you heard at the beginning of this episode here on... New Year's, well, if you're listening to this on the day I release it, it will be New Year's Eve, and so let me go ahead and say very quickly, oh, I started to say Feliz Navidad, no, it is Prospero Año, and I believe that means uh, Happy New Year, Uh, and I hope you had a Feliz Navidad, and I'm assuming that means Merry Christmas because that. Those two phrases are both in the famous song. So anyway, but that <laughs> was the voice of Mr. Marty C that you heard at the beginning of this here episode. And you are going to hear so much more from Mr. Marty C in just a moment, but first Things first. This episode is brought to you by Anonymous and Krista and Michelle and Jason and Trudy and Kate and Gerhard and David. So you ask yourself, what exactly did Anonymous and Krista and Michelle and Jason and Trudy, Kate and Gerhard and David do? Well, they went to our website, soberspeak.com. Dot com they put the little w in front of it then you know with a little dot and then soberspeak.com and they clicked on the little yellow donate tab and made a, a contribution so thank you anonymous krista michelle jason trudy kate gerhardt and david this here episode that is being released on new year's eve is coming right out to ewan's Thank you very much. I thank you very much. Thank you very thank you very very much. Uh, why did I just go into an Elvis impersonation? Who knows? Really? Who know? Who knows what goes on in this little pea brain? But nonetheless, this episode is brought to you. I've already did all that. Wait, I I'm, I'm losing my brain here. I John M. Just another. Bozo on the bus will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in so take a seat if you will around and you can't see but I'm doing a little circle with my hands around the virtual table and let's get started. Remember now four Out of five sponsors surveyed, recommend Sober Speak to help improve your conscious contact with your higher power, and we're glad you are all here. So I'm kind of looking around. Okay, so just so you know, I'm recording this actually uh, uh, right before Christmas, uh, and uh, and I'm looking around, and in Studio A here, there is a big box with uh, a bunch of uh, I don't know bows and Christmas paper and uh, tape and and all this in boxes and. This is where, now people come into Studio A when I say people, my family, not just random people, um, but they come into Studio A here, uh, as I have mentioned quite often, is a multi-purpose room, and they, I don't know, wrap stuff and do all this kind of, <laughs> my, my daughter and my wife are kind enough to do it for me, so, and you don't want to see my rapping. But anyway, all that is around me, and... Um, the lovely Mrs. M is downstairs right now. I don't know exactly uh, how all this happens, but I know there are things that we do here. I say we, it's not really me, it's my wife and the kids and, and, and whoever else comes over uh, decorating uh, Christmas cookies. So, now you who are cooker types will will understand this um, but I know that it takes a long time to make this particular dough that the cookies are made from that end up getting decorated after they're cooked and uh, this the this this cookie dough all I know is I see the lovely mrs. M down there and by the way, sometimes if it's humid outside, I've never quite gotten this, but if it's humid outside, uh, the dough does not do very well. And then I see her down there uh, beating on the dough with this uh, a big wooden thing, What, it, what it, roll a big wooden roller, and eventually these cookies get made. But I know it's a very manual and intensive process. And by the way, she is in a... Uh, m- a really good mood today and and one of the reasons is is that she went and got her her nails done now i've never quite understood this whole thing of you go to the nail shop and you come out of the nail shop and you're in a much you know or you're in a great mood it's not my thing, but I but but I get it. And so anyway, what else is going on here? And I'm hearing noise in the background. I don't know if you're going to pick it up or not. But my son, uh, keep in mind once again, he is a uh, he's 15 years old, and he's having a uh, what he organized called a a secret Santa sort of party in the background, and there are about. Five or six uh, teenage boys in what we call the playroom, and I don't know exactly what's going on in there, but I know there is. It's more than gift exchanging because they're there. I, I walked in for a moment, and they're wrestling, and they're hopping up and down, and they're making a lot of noise. But you know what? I love it. And, you know, one of the reasons I love it is because I grew up in an atmosphere where that did not go on. And when I say that, uh, inviting a bunch of kids over and having fun and being in a safe environment. And I'm just glad that they can all do that. I I, I really am. Um, so that's about it. So, And here's the other thing that uh, I want to put out there. And that is, I know that this entire time of year, whether it be New Year's Eve or Christmas or even going into the new year, whatever whatever you have, um, can be difficult for some, and it has been very difficult for me in years past. But I I, I do want to say this. Don't get hung up, if you will, on all those Instagram photos and Facebook photos that you see of all the big happy families and all that stuff and kind of thinking, if only that were me, uh, because, I, how do I put this? There are not normal people out there. You just have people that haven't shared with you yet. (laughs) And just because it looks normal in a photo and it looks like something you would want to be part of, most times when you start digging a little bit further, there are issues and there's problems and things that people are dealing with. And uh, I I just want to put that little word of caution out there. So wherever you are, just enjoy your holiday. Or wow, well, I guess it's past the holiday now that you're listening to this, but you could still take that particular message into the new year. All right, let's go ahead and talk about our special guest. And this is brilliant that we get to start the year off with a friend from up north, a Canadian friend, eh? And this is Marty C. And this is called Genuine Love for Alcoholics Anonymous. Marty is from Hamilton, Ontario, Canada and got sober on July 16th of 1987. We'll talk about his time being uh, locked up uh, in a prison, and as he puts it, uh, he was framed again. <laughs> he was getting framed a lot. Marty shares openly about sexual abuse he experienced as a child. His motto was don't talk, don't trust, and don't feel. And coming from a background like that, Alcoholics Anonymous was going to be a change of pace for sure. Before Marty's uh, what he calls his 14-year experience, Marty was what he refers to as full-time middle of the road, unquote, in Alcoholics Anonymous. We almost get to Marty's 14 years experience uh, sober in Alcoholics Anonymous, but we talk about that on Marty's next appearance on the Uh, podcast we had to schedule some time to come back and be with marty and i will be releasing that uh probably later in january or february sometime but anyway but anyway we will have plenty oh listener feedback at the end of marty's uh discussion so sit back enjoy the ride without further ado ladies and gentlemen i present to you mr marty c enjoy Okay, everybody, so today we are sitting here with the one, the only, <laughs> Mr. Marty C. from the Great White North. So, Marty C., first <laughs> thing first, why don't you go ahead introduce yourself, give your sobriety date if you would wish, and uh, let people know where you're sitting in this great land of ours. Uh, thanks
0: so much, John. I, I My name is Marty Cosgrove with Marty C. I'm an alcoholic from Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, and uh, very honored to have been asked here to be with you. Uh, I'm coming live from my uh, office chair. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you're just listening or if this is a visual, but I'm really happy to be here,
1: John. Thank no, you. they're just gonna—they're just gonna hear the audio. Uh, in right. fact, uh, you had uh, just made a comment about that beaming light that's coming <laughs> from behind <laughs> you up there in Canada. Can yeah. you explain that again?
0: Well, if anybody like we haven't had sunshine in six or seven days, and uh, when I set up this this camera. Uh, the light behind me is coming through the window at an, an incredible rate, and it looks like it, it's, got, it's got all this radiance beaming from my head. But if you asked anybody and knows me, they'd say, well, no, that's not true. <laughs> that's an illusion. That's what we call an illusion.
1: <laughs> so- well, that is God's spirit sitting down upon us, though, for this particular interview. I'm sure of it.
0: Oh, and thank you so much for that intro prayer. That was beautiful. I appreciate that, John, getting me yeah. out here.
1: Thank you. Yeah, you're quite welcome. So let's let's talk a little bit about how we came together here there is a gentleman who listens to the program his name is Jason F Mm -hmm. and Jason F reached out to me and he said hey there is this guy named Marty C in Canada and he is absolutely out of this world. I think you ought to listen to him. And if you listen to him and you're agreeable, I think you ought to have him on the podcast. So I actually tuned in, and this rarely happens where I could do this, but I happened to be sitting at my computer that night. I was actually doing some post-production work on one of the episodes of Sober Speak that I had to do. And so I decided to kind of tune in and I had you going over on the left-hand side of me on another other monitor while I was doing my work. And I And lo and behold, I see Charlie P. in there as well. He's on camera and he's listening in. I go, look, there's Charlie. And so I called you up and you said you and Charlie have some sort of a a relationship. And I think you had some sort of base knowledge of Sober Speak, if I'm not mistaken. Explain that to me.
0: Well, yeah, Charlie and I go back a few years, uh, uh, just, to uh, conferences. I've had him up here a number of times, him and Katie to, uh, to carry the message up here. And, uh, through that has developed a wonderful friendship. Uh, I attend regularly the primary purpose group on Wednesday nights, which is the online uh, meeting that they host in Texas. Uh, fantastic meeting, uh, just, just a wash with with good good uh, stuff and uh, I just I love the man and so what happened was uh, I got I got linked on to sober speak and I said Charlie had done a couple few pitches here for you and of course I wanted to hear those so I, I listened to them and, uh, and and there's something that's uh, inside of Charlie is just a, as a natural human being a real human being so we got some good stories off off the grid like out of the <laughs> AA community that we've done together and he's he's just a real human being if you've never seen sat down and broke bread with charlie p it's a great idea that you do it's a lot of fun to sit down and have a meal with the guy
1: (laughs) yeah he's a good guy and like me he's a dallas cowboy fan so he comes up here to dallas congratulations
0: you guys got you guys might win that
1: easter well yeah you know so far so good it's a long (laughs) season as you know yeah yeah um, yeah. So yeah, Charlie's a great guy. I absolutely love him. I'm going to have Katie on uh, more toward the end of the year as well. So I'm really looking forward
0: to that. Inter- interrupt her a lot. She likes that. She really likes that. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, just quickly with respect to Jason, I met Jason a number of years ago at a, a men's retreat and uh, the that uh, my friend Brian and I were co-facilitating. And he is one of the most, most gentle, kindest men I've ever met. And uh, what a what a, a very, like, that subtle power in, in, in recovery and Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, that's what Jason's about. You know, some of us guys get cast to the front with our big mouths and our big personalities and stuff. And Jason is just a lovely, lovely human being. And I, I so appreciate his support. He comes to our meeting every Thursday night, and I just so appreciate his support.
1: So cool. So cool. I also want to talk about, you know, we we were talking a little offline right before we started. No, I said hold that because I want to get that on a, on a recording. But you mentioned about your enthusiasm. I mean, first of all, I can tell just from talking to you on the phone the first time we talked and then doing this beforehand and just our first few minutes here, you have... And enthusiasm and a passion for life, and you just have a, a, a wonderful attitude. I, I, right, there, I'm, there's so many different ways to describe that. But talk about what you were talking about on the front end your your love for Alcoholics Anonymous, and, and just, just put that into words if you can. Yeah
0: not always easy like it's an inspirational thing through conversation i'll get stimulated and then i go right off you know and uh oh my god it's like it's like talking about your children <laughs> nobody else really cares you're showing all your pictures of your little puppy or your kids and nobody really cares but you've got all of this wow and the thing about here's the thing that i can't john i'll, I'll start crying if uh if i take enough time with it is that it, it's getting worse I'm 34 years sober. My sober date is July the 16th, 1987. And it's getting worse. When I say worse, I mean better, worse, worse, better. It's like, I'm, I'm a madman for this stuff. And, and I have no, it, it, it's like, it's not cultist or it's not, um, it's not driven by, it. it's, it's just, it's this, it's this power. And I am never, ever closer to God than I am when I'm with another alcoholic. So being around AA and in AA and, and this, this pandemic and everything has, has, has cost me somewhat because I've always been very close to other alcoholics in our community. And, um, but man, oh man, uh, opening up the book into the literature, talking about recovery principles and watching people's lives come back together over and over and over again, it says it's something that you don't want to miss. So well, I'm going to tell you, um, it, it even goes, it goes further than that for me. I'm blown away by it. It's almost like there's nothing that gives me the kind of inspiration that uh, uh, an Alcoholics Anonymous activity does. Nothing, nothing.
1: Yeah. I just got back from a meeting right before this, Marty. We're recording on a, uh, a Saturday right now, so everybody knows. And uh, it's about one thirty here, my time, one thirty p.m. And I went to a meeting at uh, twelve o'clock, and there were there were two or three people there. One was a. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say their names because this is first names, and I don't think they'd care at all. Uh, one was named Mary, and she's getting her chip tomorrow her one-year chip there was another gentleman named brad who was getting his eight month chip and then there was another guy in there kind of a newcomer uh his name is tony and he was sharing about the gifts of sharing his sobriety and being able to go out to a treatment center and i found myself getting like teared up and i'm going You know, and and I, Marty, have been sober since uh, 1989, by the grace of God, and I think, I mean, when is this going to stop? I mean, you know, I'm still here getting teared up, and this still means so much to me, so (laughs) I can can so much relate to what you're talking about okay marty c so let's get into a little of your story or a lot of it we shall see um but why don't you take me back i guess you know to to the beginning where you came from you know wh- wh- you know what you were like right and then what happened and then we'll get into what you're like now
0: yeah yeah i, I won't stay i won't stay too long there in the formative years i, I think i think you know i i have this um uh, Sandy beach became a pretty good friend of mine. And, uh, uh, in one conversation, Sandy and I were having, he said to me, the older I get, the better my childhood was. Right. And and I was only, I don't know, this was 10 years ago, 12 years ago. And, and I wasn't very, uh, um, in tune with what he was talking about. And you fast forward now, I, I get what he's saying. Um, you know, when I first came to Alcoholics Anonymous, you'd have thought I was raised in a, in, in in hell. And uh, uh, because it just that seemed to be what everybody was talking about in 1986, 87, 88, mm-hmm. was around abuse and about all these kinds of things. It was our generation. Uh, I don't know what the hell it was, but it was pretty common. So I would have been the poster boy for the Children's Aid Society up here, you know, family services. I would have been the poster boy for that. That's not my life. That's not what happened. When I was a Coming up, my family, uh, my dad's an alcoholic. My mom's this person who's never taken a drink. What I knew was that alcohol was the most important thing in our home growing up, absolutely undeniably. There wasn't the relationship between my mother and father, and it wasn't my father's relationship with us kids, and it wasn't my the most important thing in our home was alcohol. Uh, my mother was either ardently uh, and vehemently against it, and my father was uh, a very strong proponent of it. Nothing I ever witnessed, I never witnessed it let my father down. It was always there. He went through job and financial difficulties. He went through difficulties in his relationship with my mother and that, but the, the, the vodka was always there. And, uh, and so I watched this positive love relationship between my father and substance alcohol, you know, I tell the story of sometimes watching. You know, and I'll, and I'll wrap. i up, just come through this fairly quickly, just for people's identification. Is that when the family was going on vacation or a trip of some type? There would be we got four children: my, my older brother, my younger brother, younger sister, and the car would get packed. And the way it would get packed is, uh, first of all, it would be all the kids' clothes and it would be all the kids' sporting goods, gloves, baseball, bats, these kinds of things that, that uh, hockey, the stuff would go in the car and then my mom's clothing would go in and then my father's clothing would go in and my dad would come out and uh, he'd have a cooler. And in the cooler, would be a couple bottles of whiskey and a couple bottles of vodka and some beers and maybe a little, he, he loved food, so there'd be some meat in there that he was going to take to wherever we were going. <laughs> and he'd walk out with this cooler. Well, there'd be no room. Well, out would go the kids' toys. Out would go the kids' clothes. <laughs> go- and the cooler was coming. And, and, and so the relationship with alcohol, I, I was always a witness to the priority. It was always a priority in our home. I took my first drink at 12 and a half years old, and my life changed forever. I had no idea that I was so um, uh, disturbed or broken inside until I wasn't anymore. You know, I, I, had this life where uh, I swam and I fished and I jumped off of ropes into beautiful, like I lived in a gorgeous place in, in, in uh, Northern Ontario. And I played hockey at a decent level and I, I, I excelled in school. And, and this was, this is the, the, the sort of the life I was growing up as a kid, a lot of friends and, and, and again, really liking school and stuff. So there were no problems there. <clears throat> I took a drink at twelve and a half and and, uh, uh, I felt normal. I had no idea I was at such unease and dis-ease until I took a couple of bottles of beer. And, uh, you know, I got violently sick. I, mean, I, I just I chugged them back and I got really, really sick. I puked all over the place. I woke up the next morning and thought that was the single greatest thing that's ever happened to me in my life. And I knew that I would be doing that again. Mm -hmm. And that that's kind of how it took off for me. You know, I had no, you know, I came through this at eight years old. I was sexually abused. Uh, I never talked about it. Never was a part of my life. Uh, uh, I I don't remember feeling defective because of that. I do remember that in my teenage years, I used to lay awake and think to myself, what was it that I was putting out there to make that guy think it was okay to do that to me? I remember that disturbing feature when I was un unanesthetized by anything, right? And drinking was my thing. Although I came up in a culture of strong drug use, uh, drinking was my thing. I I I loved alcohol and uh, before all else, alcohol.
1: And so- Let me ask you something real quick. So- In regards to the sexual abuse, because there's going to be a lot of people that are listening in that, you know, say, God, that happened to me as well. So, uh, um, and this is probably part of your story later, but as long as you brought it up now, when when did you start to deal with that as an adult? Was it in Alcoholics Anonymous? Was it before that? Uh, Was it counseling? Take me through that journey there.
0: Well, it, it was, uh, dutifully, dutifully sort of, uh, suppressed. I mean, there was no, I, I didn't know that, again, all of a lot of my life reactions after that were, were, were stringed to that. I had no idea that I, and, and when I talk about that 12 and a half year old experience, I had no idea how broken I was until I was fixed. So who knew, right? And then alcohol treated everything that was wrong with me. And so I go through the years and, uh, uh you know, as the story goes, um, lots of trouble, getting into lots of difficulty with human relationships, and, and uh, I used to get framed a lot, spend a lot of time in custody, and in those in custodial moments, I would have all this time to think about things, right? And uh, I would have to say, uh, uh, to be quite, I'll, I'll skip right up to your question. At 14 years sober, I met a man at a, round, at a roundup, I was 14 years sober, And uh, there were accounts, there was counseling experiences. There was there was some acknowledgement that something had happened when I was a kid. Uh, The CEOs and all the people in my life that became aware of this always looked to that as being the defective part of myself that could never allow me to be happy, joyous, and free. And I bought into that shit when it was suitable. I bought into that stuff when it suited me. I played that card when I was all in prison. My adolescence and my young adulthood was all in prison. So that was a, a common thread that would always come back up. At 14 years sober, I met the man that I'll talk about in a little while that set me on the course of doing these 12 steps. And then taking these 12 steps uh, and getting into inventory for the first time, for the first time at 14 years sober, I did a big book inventory. My story's like Charlie's. At 16 year I thought I was in the middle of AA. I thought I was like smack dab in the middle of AA, having a large and charge full AA experience. And at 14 years sober, I got woken up and uh, directed into inventory. And in that inventory, the way it's properly done. And if you ever have me back, and I'll do a, I'll do a talk on just inventory, is that not only did the um, uh, the abuser come up in the last column. I was able to reconcile so many things about me and the things that I had done and the things that I had hurt other people in the ways that I had hurt other people. I was so able to reconcile it. And when you stop me there and asked me to sort of, let's stay on that for a few minutes because there's listeners out there. It doesn't matter where I do this, John, I have conversations with people at depth. A lot of men come to me and talk about being hurt in that way. And I'm going to, again, fast forward to the healing. It was proposed to me a long time ago that my worst difficulty or the most significant difficulty in my life would become my main asset in helping others. That as a tool, I am so at ease and comfortable with all of that. I am never, I've never been destroyed by it, never. And it has become an absolute tool to pull me closer to men who suffered similar difficulty. And I'm here to say on the airwaves that you can be beyond that 100% and maybe even more and and I'm getting goosebumps. And again, I can be brought to tears and talking about the power of this stuff, the way it changes things. It's unbelievable. And it all has to do with the process of steps four through nine, all of it. You know, it's never been a part of my life since, and it's become my best tool in working with others.
1: Do you remember a time when you're going through that process after 14 years sober and you and you thought to yourself, Wow, I can talk about this now. There's I, I'm I'm not carrying around the shame that I want to carry around.
0: Yeah, but again, awareness, being awoken is like if, if I asked you what you were thinking about last night while you were sleeping, you wouldn't have any answers from me. You. you might come up with a couple of real cool dreams and all that kind of stuff. And <laughs> some of them maybe not even appropriate for the airway. <laughs> However, you wouldn't really be able to tell me what you were thinking about. It was not there, John. That's that's the power of the ego and the power of the mind. It wasn't there. Um, you know, I, I it was an incident that took place, and I could never be brought to the agony, the pain, or the, the shame, or none of that stuff. Uh, I could never be brought to that. Um, I don't know if my ego protected me from it. I'm not sure. Uh, but the bottom line is: is remember, I was saying like there were times, all growing up in my teen years, and when I was in prison and stuff, where I would lay awake at night and wonder. What was I doing that made that guy think that was okay to do that to me? And and I would never be disempowered that way again. Never, not in any way, not even not sexually or any other way. I became a uh, not a bully, but I I would crack first and ask questions later. I became okay. a very <clears throat> aggressive individual.
1: So let's go back to that. I kind of brought you to a point that <laughs> got back, and I've heard you talking about being in custody and uh, yeah. laying in jails and all that sort of stuff. So something happened between 14 and whenever you got to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. So, I, you know, take me through. And first, before you do that, let me just read a little announcement here real quick. We will be continuing our conversation with Marty C. in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at SoberSpeak.com. You can also find the Donate button on our website, which you can use if and only if the Spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind this is a podcast funded by you the listener all right now back to mr marty c all right so take me to uh, you know whatever you want to talk to me about during those sounds like fairly tumultuous years
0: they certainly were for my parents and for anybody who loved me i mean there's no doubt about that um i i uh I think what happened, if, probably at about 15 years old, John, I sort of I rolled it up and, and, and gave up. And I remember thinking to myself uh, uh, that I was powerless then. I didn't have the language to it, but I remember I was, I was puking and I was bleeding and I, I was hunging under the toilet. It was five o'clock in the morning. And I remember thinking, I'm never, ever, ever going to do that again. But I also remember that afternoon getting jacked up again and remembering that I had made a commitment in the morning. Where did that go? I remember that experience like... I guess I'm doomed to live this way forever. And that, that happened a lot in my life where I always felt I was condemned to live a certain. I remember being 19 years old and I was in a hole, I was in the hole in prison again. And, and because I don't play well, I don't play nice with others. And I'm in the (laughs) hole again and thinking to myself, is this it? I'm never going to know the love of a woman. I'm never going to have a family. I'll never have a career. This is going to be it for me, prison. And I would condemn myself then to the, to the uh, behaviors and the, and, and, and sort of the modifications that were necessary to survive in the, environment I was in. And, um, and again, it was a lash out, strike first uh, sort of uh, demeanor. And, uh, and it just kept getting me in trouble. Here's the, the important thing that I want to put out here for people is, is this, is that when I talk about my love and my passion for Alcoholics Anonymous, if John, if you had asked me to come down there to Texas to do this air, this show, I would have come, I would have walked, I would have hitchhiked, I would have got there. I uh, you you hear a lot of people say, when I came to AA or when I came to the doors of AA, it's a terminology that's very common. I never came to the doors of AA. AA kept coming to me. And I want to make that really, really clear. These old geezers who were sitting there watching Survivor on a Tuesday night and, and a snowstorm and all that would get up off their asses and they would get in their vehicles and they would drive to these institutions and they would put on A&A meetings. They all, they came to me and, you know, who the hell am I? whoever ever reject an opportunity to to, to do a, a, a you know a form of service, who am I to do that? I can't. I can't do that. So so that's an important piece. And at seventeen, uh, I, I met my first Alcoholics Anonymous member at 17 years old. said, It's a story I'll tell it another time. <laughs> awesome human being, but nothing to do with me. I mean, I'm 17. I, thought, I said to the guard, I said, who the hell was that? He said, those were the A&As. I said, what the? Don't, don't let them weirdos in here again. Like, I, I don't know why he came to see me, but, uh, you know, I fast forward to 19 years old and I'm, I'm in a federal penitentiary again, framed again, and I, I'm, I'm sitting there doing time for a few years. And uh, Alcoholics Anonymous is everywhere I look. You know, it's, it's all over the place. There's literature. There's, there's all kinds of stuff, you know, and I have no interest in, in, in recovering from a disease or a, a problem that I don't even think I have. You know, I have this uh, anger problem. I was told this as a young kid that I have a temper and all that kind of stuff. I was told that. So I thought that was my issue. And, uh, you know, the CEOs when I was talking about the sexual abuse, the CEOs always wanted to talk about that. You know, that's what they wanted to talk about. Every time I got into trouble or something like that, within three minutes of, of any interview by a psychologist, a psychiatrist, uh, uh, any any commanding officer, and they would look at my file. Hmm. Yes. Yes. Mm. Yeah. I see here that you were you were hurt when you were a boy, and I say, "Huh? Oh, what do you mean?" I understand that you were you were sexually abused when you were eight years old by a, a guy down the street. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? I said, no, no, I don't want to talk about that. And uh, they would say, okay, no, that's okay. at your time. And the context of the interview would totally change. I had just either brutally beaten somebody or I had been involved in some sort of scam or some sort of thing that went on that should have been punishable, seriously punishable. And it would totally change the context of every single interview I ever walked in and out of. So it became an ace, in my it became an ace up my sleeve. It became, you know, my hidden sort of uh, gem that I could pop out. And I'm going to tell you something else. Is that when I talk, when I, I've been, uh, it's not it's not a coincidence I end up in the field I'm in. <laughs> I work with I work with men and, and women who have been significantly sexually abused, and I've heard stories that make my hair curl. And I don't identify with them for the ongoing longevity of their abuse and the abusers themselves and, the, and what it was that they experienced. It's like, oh, my God, my heart breaks for them. My empathy is there. But, man, you know, I have – it's not like you can compare one to the other. Our messages to ourselves were all were the same. But, um, you know, back to I, I don't want to get hung so up
1: r- on. So real quick, how did you end up getting into that field?
0: Well, I got injured. I was trying to avoid it. I, I always wanted to be a school teacher, but, you know, long long criminal record was not, <laughs> not really conducive to, to, to be. People didn't want me around their kids. I don't know how else. <laughs> so, but the bottom line is, is that uh, I got injured uh, 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 landscaping. I was making good money. I had a good living. I was, I was um, a little girl and, and I was, I was sober and happy and I got injured. And uh, all the psychovocational testing kept pointing to the helping profession. So I got uh, uh, retrained and, and went back to school. And I had always stayed in university and had university courses going on. So I became educated and uh, uh, fell into this uh, uh, incredible uh, uh, domain. And uh, I was in private practice for many years. I worked at the detox for the first year, probably the best job I've ever had uh, as far as going to work. And I just, I mean I, it, when, when we get the opportunity to serve uh, in, even in our employment not as an AA member but just as a human being it's quite a it's quite a wonderful thing and, and uh, then I went into the private practice and it was very lucrative for a number of years and then I heard about this opportunity which was the I'm the addiction specialist for St. Joseph's Hospital here in Hamilton for the outpatient program called Act assertive Community Treatment and I work with people on the street with alcohol and uh, drug addiction and and mental illness. And so that's, that's how, and almost everybody, almost all of them have been at one time or another perpetrated upon. I mean, it's just no doubt about it. We, we go through it a lot, you know? Wow. And so it, that's, it just ended up there. So I've been doing that for 30 years. And it's like, uh, and and the same thing with my AA life. I love this job. Oh, I do this for free, man. And if, really pisses off all the sort of high union nurses that <laughs> I work with, right? when i say that because they're always so tired and fatigued i get up in the morning i'm singing another day to, another day to be of service another day to be helpful isn't this lovely guys they're all shut up
1: <laughs> up yours marty up yours. <laughs> whatever Okay, so I got you off track, as I do a lot. Okay, so let's go back. Um, You are in and out of... Sounds like you're in and out of jail quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I mean, take me through that period. What, what else do you want to cover there?
0: Well, I just, I want to say that, okay, let's go right to the chase. Let's cut right to this. So 19 to 23 years old, I'm in a federal penitentiary and, and Alcoholics Anonymous comes again. And I meet a guy named Steve and Steve is just uh, square John and for sake of a better term, he's just a, a guy who's never been in trouble. And And he has a sponsor who said to him, and I don't even know what a sponsor is at the time. But he says, this sponsor guy told me I got to come down here and do this, <laughs> you know, put on coffee and all that kind of stuff. We have this conversation, him and I, and he's just a really, really nice man. He doesn't ask me what I'm inside for. He doesn't ask any of those questions. He's just a really nice man. I don't know any nice men. I haven't met any good guys. You know, I don't trust them, but he's just a really nice, gentle guy. And uh, that's not what I'm accustomed to where we're sitting, right? He, and he, he hoodwinks me and then a few other guys in going to this roundup. It was the 13th Institutional Conference of Alcoholics Anonymous the Days Inn in Kingston, Ontario, which is the motherland for all of our federal penitentiaries. And he invites us to go to this conference, and we go. And I had an AA experience there, my first one. And it was when the chairperson said, is there anybody out there doing time on a, on a day parole pass? And please stand up, and about 14 or 15 of us stood up, and all you weirdos clapped. And then he said, is there anybody out there who's ever done time? There's about 300 people in the room. Anybody out there who's ever done time? Could you please stand up? And the whole room stood up and the chairs pushed back on the floor and made that creaking sound. And there was just like this whoosh. And everybody just, there was this moment of silence, like you could hear a pin drop. And this young girl screamed out with joy. And everybody just laughed and screamed and fell into each other's arms. And I thought, oh, shit. I'm one of them. <laughs> no, 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 not the AAs. These are my people. No, God, no, not these guys.
1: And Anything that, but this. Yeah.
0: So, so, so that happened, and of course, I, I went back to the like. There's, that's there's a little story around that too. I'll tell some other time. But I, I came back to the and understanding maybe what I, what, what I was, and perhaps where I belonged. There was an openness there where, okay, all right. You know, it wasn't like I was seeking any any truth or any need. I went there for a purpose. I went there to get a lady. I don't know where I was going to take her, but I went there to get a
1: baby, <laughs> <date>, You know,
0: <laughs> <laughs> handcuffs and jackals would have interfered a tad, but, but when I when I. Uh, I had that experience there and it was kind of, it, it, it disturbed me. You know, and I thought, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to look at these steps things that they were talking about, right? And then they were on the wall in the same room I'd been in for three years working out and I had never even read them. And I saw, and this Steve guy said, those are the 12 steps of AA. And I looked and I thought, yeah, one, yeah, drinking's bad, man. I drink, bad shit happens. That's not good step two. and No, you're getting weird in step two. Step three, you're not even hiding it anymore. You're going to capital G. That ain't happening. Step four, I could do inventory. I'm not writing anything down, but I can mentally do some inventory. Step five, I'm not telling anybody that's ridiculous. Don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. Those are my rules. Step six and seven, defects of care. I knew yours were, but I, I didn't even understand what defects and shortcomings were I me. Mean, step eight and nine, I'm not paying back the money. That's ridiculous. Whoever came up with that idea, that needs to be relooked at. Step, step ten, very strange. Ten's a very strange step and it happens to be my way of life these days but it was a very strange step to look at on the wall and step 11 no you're not hiding it at all anymore you're going right for jesus come on stop it jumping for jesus <laughs> i'm not doing it in step 12 yeah i can help people so i ran into, around the institution for the next year and a half doing step one four and 12 and nobody got sober nobody got sober and i got drunk a few times inside none of the info but nobody got sober around me but i got a parole I got my, my sentence was reduced through a, an appeal and I got a parole and automatically, bang, I was out into the community and that's when my AA life started. I went to my first Real Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and I began to experience the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, this crazy, crazy ass fellowship. The first guy that picked me up was in a great big white van. He had like, knee-high wellingtons on covered in sheep shit come on let's go to the aa meeting (laughs) i'm (laughs) not going anywhere with you (laughs) and then the guys in the halfway house are saying yeah that's our ride to the meeting we ever pile into the van so we pile into the van with this guy i'm at the meeting and i have an i have another experience uh, that this is where i belong i can't believe it these guys are lunatics i can't believe i belong here and then here's my story, John. I fell in love with AA right then. It's never changed. And for the next five years, uh, I met a guy, a Scottish guy who said, I'm your sponsor, son. And I said, how come I don't get to ask someone to be my sponsor? He says, you're too stupid. And uh, for the next five <laughs> the next five years, that was in his back pocket. And, and, and my life, my life had changed. You know, when I talk about all that place, and when I say changed, I'm talking, this is where, this is the delusion, right? So, all the, all the trouble stopped, all the outside trouble stopped, no more prisons, no more this, my, my my family, three and a half years in, my family had me there for Thanksgiving and Christmas three and a half years in, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working and I'm, b- I'm back and being educated. I'm in school. I'm in a relationship. I, I, I have a car. The license plate's exactly the same on the front as it is in the back. <laughs> <laughs> These are miracles now. I'm talking <laughs> miracles. And if you heard my mother, she would come to the A&As and she was, oh my God, I love what you guys have done to my son. It was on. AA had saved her son's life. And I bought that line of shit too. There's no doubt about it. The trouble stopped. But inside, I was restless, irritable, and discontent all the time. And how it would manifest inside of me, whether it was sexual behaviors or whether it was uh, uh, lying or stealing or dishonesty or or gambling or, or whatever it was, you know, I never turned to drugs or anything like that, but but it would always be, it would manifest in some lunacy, you know, I would, it could be playing hockey eight times a week, it could be constant misdirection, you know, and, and, and it would show up in the most bizarre ways, as it tells us in our book, it shows up in very bizarre ways. Now, this is not on Alcoholics Anonymous, just on Alcoholics Anonymous in my area. <laughs> there was no message of Alcoholics Anonymous in my area. It was don't drink and go to meetings and hit as many meetings as you can. Do ninety and ninety. See if AA is for you. That that was the message. That that's the message for the new guys. I'm smack dab in the middle of Rome, so I'm doing as the Romans do. I love AA and I'm in all the time. I love meetings. I didn't ever rejected a meeting. I love meetings, so I'm going all the time. I get involved in service and service commitments around interdistrict and and GSR. And I'm involved. I am a ma- member of this this. I am a member of this community. I'm a Hellraiser too. And and in our, our Roundup is going on, and I'm the chairperson of our big roundup that we have here. And Everybody knows me. I got a big mouth. I got a stable of sponsees that are the most nutty guys in all of AA. I sponsor them all exactly the way that I was sponsored, step one and two. There wouldn't be a term for it if there wasn't such a thing. It's called two-stepping. It's in our literature. Don't drink and help people. And for the next several years of my life, up to 14 years, I had an AA experience that was full-time, middle of the road full time middle of the road not middle of aa middle of the road so that that was my that was my life that's what happened and then and and again i want to be very very clear about this there was no contest to my delusion there was no like, I, I i i loved aa i would i spoke at roundups conferences i was i was so on fire for god in my years 10 9 through 12 13 that i was began to become the closing speaker at a lot of conferences and roundups on the sunday morning me <laughs> <laughs> Me? Why? Because I got a big mouth and I read a lot, and so I began to, to to be this spiritual speaker on Sunday mornings, which is kind of an insult to AA. Now that I look, back <laughs> <laughs> I've been at some Sunday morning meetings that have been magnificent. Now, before I say anything else, I just uh, I didn't talk about this, but on July the sixteenth, nineteen eighty-seven, which is my dry date. I was in a jail cell and uh, again, again, and I was going back to prison. And uh, the power and the pain of my uh, uh, life and, and, and decisions and, and the way it had unfolded for me brought me to my knees in that jail cell. And I screamed out for help. And that help came in the form of a power that I had no ever no relationship with ever. Marty Mann talks about it. Bill Wilson talks about it. Uh, uh, There are witnesses to these kinds of things happening. Every time I'm in a big venue talking about it, one or two, three people come to me afterwards and said, I heard the voice. I screamed out, I don't want to live like this. I don't want to live like this anymore. And I heard a voice say, you don't have to, you don't have to live like this anymore. So that was my experience that drove me into the heart of Alcoholics Anonymous. So for many years in my conversation and my talk, I would talk about that message. That was the message. That is not the AA message. And that was the problem is that I had the stable guys around me, but none of them were getting sober. I wasn't carrying a message of depth and weight. I wasn't carrying a 12-step message. I was carrying a message that said, you need God and you better get him. You better, you know, I don't know what you're going to do, but you're going to have to suffer a great deal. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, then, and then maybe it'll happen for you. Let's cross our fingers and hope for the best. And that was the AA message that I was involved in here, you know? there'd be people saying all the time, I'm always recovering. You know, I'm always, I'm only an arm's length away from a drink, all that kind of horse shit. Those were common things that were said in the environment that I live in. They were cute, quippy little AA things like the slogans and stuff like that. I don't have a problem with these things. It's just, it's not AA, you know, it's not. And uh, yeah. And then I'll take you like, I'll take you to the year 14. That's where it starts.
1: Yeah. So, what happened when you got to fourteen years? That was so significant.
0: Okay, so in that time, in that time, I had, I had a, a, a partnership, four daughters, uh, education, career, money, home. I had uh, a standing in Alcoholics Anonymous, and again, on the outside looking in, you'd think this is incredible. How does this guy go from this scrap pile? To this how does that even happen now i know in my heart that it was a revolutionary god thing i know that i have been moved by some sort of spirit to this place but that's not evident in anything that i'm talking about i don't have a 12-step message so I would say in the first little while that I was here, maybe the first five or six years, Alcoholics Anonymous was about not drinking. It really was about not drinking. You know, most meetings and dimensions of my alcoholism and my, my recovery talk was all around not drinking. Well, the next few years, and I had a little girl there, Amanda's.
1: So let me let, let me dive into that real quick. So yeah. uh I, I I I think I understand what you're talking about, but I just want to make sure, and you even referenced it in some of your previous comments. Mm-hmm. But are you saying that like you weren't making amends. You weren't doing daily inventories. You weren't doing the prayer. Is that kind of what you mean by that?
0: Yeah. There were no specific directions to, but my, my, this is where the delusion came from is that I belonged to a 12 and 12 meeting. I I attended tons of 12 and 12 meetings. Didn't see a big book anywhere for the first several years I was in recovery, but I would go to these 12 and 12 meetings and we would read a step. And in reading the step, I would identify with some of the outcomes that were described when Bill Wilson wrote the essays about the steps, I would identify with the outcomes. And so I would think to myself, well, I must have done that. Now that's going to sound very silly to the listener. How could you be so duped? I dare say I'm not the only one. <laughs> right. <laughs> I am not the only one. Since the mid seventies, tens or th- hundreds of thousands of Alcoholics Anonymous members have not taken the steps. Hmm why because they've been in 12 and 12 meetings thinks that, thinking that that's taking the steps on the other side of it so i would read the ninth step and the 12 and 12 and said well my family's accepted me back people are talking to me today i must have made amends
1: uh, okay
0: those are the amends it's it's you know now we all know that if you look at our, our big book of alcoholics anonymous there's a very different set of directions there just <laughs> tend to, 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 to sit and wait and then identify the outcome that that's not what it's recommended. There are no directions in the 12 and 12, but you can read the 12 and 12 and say, which is a brilliant document. You can read it and say, oh man, there's so much depth. As Sandy would say, there was, there's so much depth in this stuff. I'm going to continuously be mining all the time to find the, you know, the power that I seek. I'm going to be constantly seeking. And this is a beautiful thing. That's why I think I get more charged about it you know it's didn't, okay. it's didn't hit an end piece.
1: I completely get that. Okay, so here's what I run into with guys like you that I really enjoy talking to and I want to go more in depth and all that sort of stuff is that we have a tendency to run out of time okay and so I think what we're going to do if you're okay with it Marty is I know that I got you off track several times (laughs) and we're just kind of now getting to the point where you are having your second wind or your second coming or whatever you want to call it uh, you're reinvigorated for Alcoholics Anonymous in a different way and you're going to have a different experience and I want to come back and I want to cover that in depth and then I probably want to talk about some of the other steps as well okay will you be good coming back with me at some other time
0: sure absolutely absolutely I'd be honored I, I just hope this doesn't leave any sort of void I'd be honored to come back
1: Oh, no, 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 no. That, that's okay. And the, people can pick up, right? They're, they're smart enough to go back and listen to the other episodes and put them all <laughs> together. And, and, you know, and here's what it is. And I do this with people all the time is that, I, you, you know, this is just all in God's hands and that I, I, I don't know who's listening and exactly when they're listening and what they need to hear. But I just trust that between you and me and doing the prayer and, you know, I, it just putting this out there in the universe, that God will do with this what he needs to do with it. And I'm, I'm more than happy to do that. So, all right, let me go ahead and read uh, page 164 from the big book to round us out here if I can find it. There we go. It says, Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to Him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Get freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Marty C. once again from Ontario, Canada, right? Is that what? Hamilton, Ontario? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, Prince George Group in Hamilton.
1: Prince George
0: Group. I to put a plug right. in for the group. So probably there you go. <laughs> amazing group of people.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much. God bless you. We'll look forward to getting back again. And uh, you have a good rest of your day. Okay.
0: Thank you, my brother.
1: Thank you so much, Marty C, for joining me and sh- and sharing your story with the Sober Speak audience. Uh, it is so much appreciated. And as a reminder, folks, we will have the follow-up to Marty C. uh, Part 2 of his story, if you will, coming up on a future episode. Be sure to stay tuned. Now, remember, we do not want you sharing your gossip or your STD, but we do want you sharing this episode with a friend or family member. It may be just what they need today. Go ahead and Pause that device you're on and uh, send it to that f- friend or family member uh, as you are able. Don't do it while you're driving, okay? Now, onto a little bit of listener feedback. Krista writes in, and Krista says, Good morning, John. Good morning, Krista. She says, I cannot thank you enough for the gift of Sober Speak. I am a grateful seven-year member of Al-Anon who often relates more to AA members than Al-Anons these days, as I've heard many others say on your podcast. Yes, I have heard that. She says, I listen to you in the car every day when I'm getting ready in the morning and when I'm going to sleep at night. I'm currently going through my steps again using the Take the 12 website, which was suggested by one of your guests. It is awesome. Yes, that was Mr. Rick W. I'm glad you're enjoying that. She says, David, Bill C., Matthew M, Julia, Gary Kay, and so many others inspire my spiritual journey. God speaks to me through my fellows at AA meetings and through you and your guests. Most recently, I've enjoyed listening to Don M and his talk, Courtesy and Persistence. This man seems to embody the prayer of St. Francis. The sweet interchange between you and Don was such a blessing, truly a gift from God. This note is long overdue. Thank you for sharing your funny, kind, and compassionate self. You are an amazing host. I'm excited to see how God will continue to use you and help myself and others to recover in 2022. Love, Krista. Krista that's so so sweet thank you for your for writing in um, love back at you uh, you uh, anyway that, that just it just blew my mind and uh, I'm I am excited to see how we can all recover together in 2022 as well god bless you Krista I really appreciate it and I appreciate Alan on Gloria writes in. She says, hi, John M. I want to thank you so much for reminding me of Al-Anon. Here we go. Alanon again. She says, I've been actively attending meetings virtually and in person for the past month. My life has changed drastically with this newfound knowledge that Al-Anon offers. I learned to let go and let God. I learned to focus on myself, stay in my own lane. Don't worry about what AA step my ex is on. (laughs) Very good. I'm glad to hear that. Don't expect any apology or anything from him. Stay in my own lane and work my own Al-Anon steps and program. And most importantly, let God, heal me. I am not alone. I have found peace and serenity that I have never felt before, and I am enjoying every moment of it. A big weight has been lifted off my shoulders. I can finally breathe. Thank you, John. You're the best. Keep spreading your knowledge with your podcast. Merry Christmas, Gloria. Lee, Well, Gloria, God bless you. I sure do appreciate you writing in. You are the best and Merry Christmas back at you. And finally, one more here. Sean posted, or excuse me, Sean post in the Super Secret Facebook group. And by the way, I don't think I mentioned this on the front end of the podcast. But if you want to be in uh, the Super Secret Facebook group, just go to your Facebook application and search up the sober speak secret group and then ask for admission and we will get you in there anyway sean post in Facebook he said i started listening to your podcast around January 2020 i would smoke a joint <laughs> while listening go figure then the the pandemic came along with zoom meetings and your podcast became and still is a main staple in my sobriety i listen to transitions daily every morning As well, because of you on the drive to work as part of my morning routine. I have listened to every single one of your podcasts and a few of them more than once. Thank you so much for what you do, Sean. God bless you. And I'm glad for those of you uh, who are wondering what he's talking about. If you just look up trans, if you do a... a search for Transitions Daily. You should see that come up. It's actually a, a podcast. It's like a short meditation that you can listen to every day. Uh, additionally, you can go to, oh, I think I have this right, aadailyemails.com and subscribe. Hold on, I'm going to make sure I'm not daily emails. I, I know I should really do this beforehand. I know, I know. Oh, hold on, AA daily i can't i can't spell right AA daily emails and there it is yeah oh i think if you go to AA daily e- emails it takes you right to transitions daily so anyway uh go ahead and go there and uh you can subscribe to both their podcast and their uh daily emails as well i i receive that every day and uh and many many mornings I I use that for my morning meditation. So anyway, all right, everybody, may God bless you and keep you until then. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. I take this one week at a time. Hopefully we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.